ECU gets drilled, pounded, humbled, embarrassed, run over by Kansas State on Saturday in Manhattan, 41-3. to At 4-4 four and four on the season, it's time to ask what needs to change to get the Frogs back on track. Plus, a trip to see TCU baseball scrimmage against Texas State, and TCU basketball adds a fourth commitment for the 2024 recruiting class. All that right now on Frogs Insider. Welcome to Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here alongside Melissa Shreveboster. As always, we are the TCU podcast for the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts simply by searching Republic of Football or Frogs Insider, wherever you get them. Like them, subscribe, leave a rating and review, do all of that stuff. We really do appreciate that from you. Also, a big shout out to our sponsors, Hells Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel. We'll touch on them a little bit more later on in the episode. But Melissa, we know one thing on this Sunday afternoon as we record. At least one football team we know and love will be playing in the postseason. And that is the St. Francis Troopies. Twitter's favorite flag football team. Our troops. Postseason, our troops. Um, they let the troopies get hot, Jamie Plunkett. They and let, you never they let, let the, the troopies get hot. hot. Never let the troopies get hot. Um, yeah, you know, we've had our ups and downs this season. Um, every sport I know and love uh has has struggled through a fall. Um, but <laughs> but uh we pulled it together here the last week of the season. We we won our last two games by a combined score of 64 to 7. Goodness. Uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they they let the troopies get hot. You know how hard it is to put up 45 points at a, a 40 minute running clock flag football game. I can only imagine it, uh, on Tuesday. We made it look not that hard. I'll just say that, but <laughs> I, I, I love pulling back. I loved the video of one of your receivers just sticking out her left hand, snagging a ball one handed in yep. the end zone. Like, I mean, I also love that. That was you, my quarterback. If you've got it, flaunt it. That was your quarterback. making <laughs> that was that my catch? Quarterback. Yeah. My wide receiver threw the pass to my quarterback um, who caught it left-handed one-handed. Um, yeah. So Tough, tough matchup on the road this week uh, uh, for the Troubadours who, who go to California powerhouse St. Mary's uh, okay. in Stockton. So out to the the heart of uh, of uh, the the nation's uh, growth economy when it comes to fruits and vegetables. That's what Stockton mm. is known for. Yeah, nice. Uh, California well, I just does produce, I just ordered like, I ordered strawberries on my on my grocery order today. So there you go. Thanks. Yeah, Shout I out think, to Stockton. I think, 40% of uh, of this, the country's uh, uh, produce comes from the Central Valley of California, something like that. So you're welcome. Got some um, green onions as well. Going to make yeah, a little chicken salad yeah. this week. Oh, mm. sounds delightful. But but yeah, so it's the, the thing I've got going for us is it's a 12-5 matchup and we are the 12. Oh, and anyone easy. that loves March Madness knows what well, a 12-5 matchup can bring. So I'm not going to do the thing and put a bet on you guys and curse you because that's yeah, the way don't. my gambling yeah. life is going yeah. these days. It's, um, from what I've heard, I would rather you not have not have your support. Yeah, so. uh, I took the Lions money line today. Anyways, uh, um, yeah. hey, shout out to the troops. Best of luck as you guys get Thank into the you. postseason. You're yeah. one making it to the postseason. Is pretty yeah, that's it's pretty freaking cool. Um, I I will say, you know, we had homecoming this week at my school too, so there was a lot going on. Um, kids really buckled down, stayed focused, and when I found out Friday afternoon when my AD came in to tell me that we were officially in because they released the brackets two hours early, I fist pumped and um, I think I might have pulled something in my shoulder. Oh, no, but totally worth it. Totally worth it. Um, fired up the kids. I saw the kids, all the all the girls were at homecoming last night, and they were all super, super fired up. I hadn't seen them since the the announcement went out, and so they couldn't wait to come over and tell me how excited they were to make the play- playoffs and uh, in year one, and and to see us get a chance to. I mean, who knows? Like, who knows what's gonna happen? I know we'll be ready. I know the kids will play hard. Um, I know we'll be prepared, which uh, is a little bit more than we can say for what happened. <laughs> Saturday, uh, late afternoon, early evening in uh, the Little Apple. So I, I do want to mention before we get into this game that you mentioned two of our amazing sponsors, Homefield Apparel, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Good. You left one off um, that uh, intrepid viewers will be noticing if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, I think we're also sponsored by Maker's Mark this morning uh, or this <laughs> afternoon, Jamie. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. That was a little bit less empty uh, yeah. on Saturday morning. But uh, looks, looks a little bit like some cask strength or, or something. There, shout out maybe. to shout out to Maker's yeah. Mark Private Selection. 
this is Angel's Beverage. Uh, it's stave profile, five Makers Mark 46 and five roasted French mocha staves. Oh, wow. Um, 108 proof. Oh, so yeah, you went in. You went in. And and honestly, yeah. I'm I'm going to say I'm very proud of you for it only being that empty uh, based on how that game went. I, I watched the first two drives from home. Mm. Uh, it didn't take long. No. Uh, and then I, I watched the rest of it from uh, from homecoming and uh, I don't know which was more disturbing uh, what I was watching on my phone or what I was watching in our gym. So it was, <laughs> it was just that kind of mm -hmm. just that kind of day. So for for TCU fans and chaperones uh, Look, who like don't chaperone a high school <laughs> dance, if you want to retain your sanity, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I was at a wedding when TCU was losing to West Virginia earlier this season, so I feel you on that level. It's like, yeah. how do I exist around people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's always the battle just in general. How do I exist around people? And then how do I exist around people while TCU is losing a game or being embarrassed? Yeah, yeah. Another challenge altogether. Um, because that's what happened, Melissa. Let, let's be completely frank. 41-3 yeah. to 3 is an embarrassing loss. Absolutely. It's an embarrassment. Um, it's the first time since November 14th, 2020, that TCU has not scored a touchdown in a game. It breaks a 37-game streak of scoring a touchdown. Um, it is the lowest scoring total for a TCU football team since 1993. Mm -hmm. um, they gave up 400 yards of offense to Kansas State in the first half. They gave up 343 rushing yards to Kansas State for the entire game at, six and a, at a little over six and a half yards per carry. Um, TCU coming into this game. We're going to get into all of these sets. Hang on. Yeah. Let me back up because I could just keep going. Yeah, there's plenty. Um, when we started to talk about this game last week, you know, Sonny Dykes in his midweek press conference was very clear about what Kansas State likes to do with the football. He's like, they're physical in the trenches and they love to run the football and they do it extremely well. We saw them do that on Saturday and I tweeted about it. After the game, Kansas State did a really good job of doing what they wanted to do with the football, even though everybody knew what they wanted to do with mm -hmm. the football, right? When you can run the ball, when the entire planet knows that you want to run the ball, that that is the sign of a couple of different things. First of all, it's the sign of an excellent coaching staff. It's the sign of elite execution. And on Saturday night, it was compounded by the fact that TCU looked wholly unprepared to stop what we all knew Kansas state was very good at. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's I think just, that, that, I think that, I might've stopped in the middle of a sentence there, but I just needed to well, pause for some levity. on. Yeah. That you did. Yeah. You just need to just let it, let it sit. Um, I knew it was going to be a long day. I don't think I anticipated it being as bad as it was when Will Howard ripped off a 30 yard run on the first drive. Mm -hmm. um, and and we we've, we've we've been knowing, as the kids say, that uh, Kansas State's quarterback run game has been a thorn in the side of TCU for as far back as I can remember these two teams playing. Mm -hmm. um, and they were able to execute it at a super high level, um, despite the fact, like you said, that everybody watching that game knew what was coming on both sides of the purple uh, shaded, uh, you know, audience here. Yeah. Uh, to me, the most frustrating thing was after they went through that TC defense like a hot knife through butter on their first defensive drive and then had the quick, you know, offensive. I can't remember, I think it was a four and out, right? They got one mm -hmm. first down and, and then uh, Kansas State did the exact same thing just with a different quarterback and there were no adjustments being made. And so mm -hmm. when you have an entire week to prepare for a team that is not surprising you, is not doing anything that you didn't expect, um, it, like you said, is just lining up and doing what they want to do. And you're not prepared from the first snap, and then you're not adjusting throughout the game, and clearly did not adjust throughout the entirety of the first half. Uh, the second half, Kansas State really took their foot off the gas pedal, but also TC didn't really do anything different defensively. That's when you start to kind of ask these bigger picture questions. And I think we all had so much excitement and enthusiasm over the way that, um, you know, TC performed against BYU. And everybody was kind of hanging on to that, well, BYU beat Arkansas in Fayetteville and then Arkansas gave Alabama all they could handle, you know, the, the week prior or whatever, two weeks prior. What we didn't take into account is that BYU is bad. And so is Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there, it's, it's, it's one thing to get up for a game, you know, whether that's looking at BYU, looking at Arkansas, you know, looking at whoever else, it's another thing to be building a program on a foundation where you can see marked improvement from week to week. What we've seen from TCU so far this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball, 
is these little spikes of hope and excitement and enthusiasm, but that have to be tempered by who and what they're playing against. And when we saw a team that understands how to execute an offensive game plan at a high level and has the physicality and uh, just the temperament to just run at your faces, Mm -hmm. uh, TCU does not have either, either or either the dudes or the scheme to stop it. Yeah. And that's kind of where we sit at four and four, <clears throat> two thirds of the way through the season. Yeah. And, it, you know, the three, three, five, there's been this debate now, right? But uh, around amongst TCU fans about is the three, three, five a viable defensive scheme when you start playing football at this level. And I think that there are examples of the three, three, five being a successful defense, right? Iowa state yeah. is, I think the primary example of a team that has consistently for the last decade or so been effective with their three, three, five defense, but what is required of a three, three, five that's missing from this TCU uh, defense right now is a defensive line that has the ability to create chaos, a defensive line that has the ability to get pressure on a quarterback they just they simply do not have the bodies right now on the defensive line to make the three three five a viable scheme. And that's partially on uh, you know, uh, I think that you know you can talk about execution, right? because that is a player execution issue when you are getting direction from a coach and you are not able to go out and do said direction from the coach. Um, I wonder if there's an opportunity maybe in the transfer portal to find some bodies that are capable of running this thing on the defensive line in the off season. Or the question has to be asked, you know, is this worth continuing? Is it worth continuing to go down this three, three, five road, right? Because uh, at, at a certain point, if you can't get the bodies in to do the job, then maybe there's a different direction. Things have to go. I'm not saying that anyone needs to be fired. I'm not saying that anyone needs to go. I'm not saying anything like that right now. But what I am saying is it's time to start asking the questions about what way for what is the way forward for TCU on the defensive side of the football. Well, I think to me, my biggest frustration, and I'm not at all comparing my coaching experience at any level to what is happening at a power five, uh, you know, collegiate football program, but I've been a coach for I don't even want to say how many years, but since I was 16. So mm-hmm. do the math. It's a really, really long time. I'm, I'm almost three decades into this thing. And, and and this is one of our chief complaints towards the end of the Gary Patterson era, right? It's yep. quit trying to put square pegs in round holes. Mm-hmm. And that's what it feels like is happening. And so my frustration from a fan perspective and just somebody that has and anybody that's coached any level, whether it's T-ball or at the college level, at some point, you have to look at the the people on your roster and say, can they execute what I want them to do? Or do I have to change in order to give them a chance to be successful? Like you said so eloquently, this roster does not have the guys to run the 3-3-5 effectively, especially on the on the defensive front. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we kind of we kind of got a hint of this going all the way back to the spring, and we got yep. a, a big clue to it at Big 12 Media Days is Sunny Dykes kind of sold us on the, and he did this with the offensive line too, which we'll get to later, but that we have eight or nine guys that are pretty much the same. And we even brought this up. I remember talking about this. That can be a good thing and that could be a bad thing. And it's yes. very clear what side that that falls on. Um, so, so my friend, and again, I don't want to call for anybody's job. I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what things look like at practice. I don't know the conversations that are being had. I don't know what film study looks like with this team, but it's not working. Make mm-hmm. a change. Period. Like at some point you have to stop being inflexible and so locked into your system that you aren't willing to do what it takes in order. I mean, it's, you know, we all make adjustments. Like if you coach, you make adjustments. I, my, I, my team was struggling on offense. We weren't able to score points. We made adjustments. It helped. It worked. It was effective. I, I looked at what my players could do and said, how do I take advantage of what my players can do well? And that's just basic coaching. And I don't feel like that's what's happening in Fort Worth right now. Part of the issue on Saturday night specifically, too, was the fact that it looked like TCU's defense regressed in the tackling department as well. Oh. Nin- 19 missed tackles. That's uh, terrifying. Matched, matched the season high, which they had in, in week one against Colorado. And if you want to talk about missed tackles costing you, you, I mean, missed tackles in that Colorado game early 
let Colorado's offense get into a rhythm, let them establish what they wanted to do with the football. And we saw how that game ended. They ended up putting up 45 points and winning the football game. The same thing happened on Saturday night against Kansas State. Missed tackles early. That Shad Banks missed tackle near the goal line. Yeah, That scored a touchdown. I think it was Kansas' second rushing touchdown of the day uh, to put them up 14 to nothing. Well, that's exactly where Kansas State wants yeah. to be. And missed tackles helped them get there. And that wasn't a missed tackle. That was, I mean, that wasn't just a missed tack- tackle. That was a small running back running into one of our most physically gifted athletes and deciding that he wanted to achieve his goal more than the defensive player did. And mm. that to me was when I went, oh, yeah. it's going to be one of those nights. Like that, I mean, that, was the, that exact moment was when we <clears> all just kind of had to go, well, crap. Yeah. <laughs> Here we and go. It, it was funny because I got a question in the mailbag in midweek last week that asked, you know, what does Shad Banks bring to the defense that uh, Jim, that Johnny Hodges maybe doesn't? Or what just what does he do different from Josh, Johnny Hodges? Not necessarily a, a who has what or not. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, I thought that that Shad's athleticism and his ability to kind of get out into space and, um, you know, be effective in the running game was part of what he did really well. And then I also said, but he doesn't always make the tackle, right? Yeah. And he didn't make the tackle in that moment. And that's just one of 19 missed tackles, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking yeah. about we're talking about guys that had three and four missed tackles each. If you go into PFF and look and see, there were a couple guys who had some really rough days in the tackling department on Saturday for TCU. And that was part of what just let Kansas State bully them into a, a 38-point victory. Jamie, like, I can kind of understand to a degree if, if – uh if Kansas state came out that first drive and Will Howard was as effective as he was, blah, blah. And maybe TC turns it over and it's a pick six and something kind of like what happened with BYU, right. The week prior. Mm -hmm. What I don't understand is how a defense can play with so much fire and so much enthusiasm and so much um, just kind of just like general, like hair up there on fire up their ass one week. And then from the very first drive of that game, look completely and totally disinterested and and doing their jobs the next week and that that to me is ultimately the the bigger issue here is I don't know if that's a a player leadership thing I don't know if that's a coach leadership thing I I don't know where that falls but this is Mm -hmm. the difference in temperament from one week to the next was so extreme like I think we all kind of thought that BYU game had lit a fire under this program and that maybe Josh Hoover had lit a fire under this program and to see them completely regress at such a uh, an excessive level so quickly uh, that's disheartening and and certainly concerning yeah. for me. Yeah, it's just the 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 inconsistencies from week to week are baffling. Yeah, they're baffling, but from from a team that showed none of that last year, right? Yeah. TCU was nothing if not consistent on both sides of the football last year, and that included defensively, in spite of some of its deficiencies that have carried over to this year. I think well, that I think that part of the challenge that I've seen. Sorry to, to cut you off there. Oh, um, no, 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 I was cutting you off. Yeah. Um, part of the challenge that I've seen this year and this, this is where maybe we shift a little bit from execution into coaching is it seems to me like sometimes this defense is being called like there's still a D winners on the roster mm-hmm. or like there's still a Dylan Horton on the roster or even a THT on the roster. And those guys aren't here this year. And we've seen the defense take a a step backwards because of the absence of three guys who are now playing on Sundays. And that's not necessarily abnormal, but uh, you've, you've got to continue to put your guys in a position to succeed. And I don't think that asking Namdi Obiezor to be D winners or asking Rick DeBrew to be Dylan Horton is necessarily putting your guys always in a position to succeed. That's all I want to say. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like the, the round, round peg square holes kind of conversation. Um, I, I guess to me too, that the, the part that's concerning foundationally for TCU big picture is you mentioned the guys that aren't there anymore, mm-hmm. but there are still a lot of guys that are. And, yeah. and I don't know if this is, um, you know, what, what's the, what's the saying about contentment being the enemy of greatness or something. Right. And yeah. it may be, making that run and having that experience and, all, and getting the rings and unveiling the playoff, like, and all that things that everybody was like, okay, like I've checked a huge box. Like we're never doing that again. And, and if there isn't the same fire in their bellies, but so many of those guys played significant roles on this team a year ago and were part of that run and, and learned under the leadership of guys like THT and D winters and Dylan Horton 
and had no, you know, for, for whatever the reason is, whether it's execution, whether it's scheme, whether it's play calling, whatever, have not been able to carry on at least that part of it. Yeah. Right. Like I would understand if we took a step backwards, that's a reasonable thing to happen when you send eight guys to the NFL and you have so many seniors, but to not just take a step backwards on the field, but to take such a significant step backwards and just overall um, uh, engagement on the mm. field, that, that to me is, is kind of the, the bigger picture question and, and what has me um, more concerned long-term than even, you know, like if, if this ends up being a five win or a six win season um, or a four win season at this point, like, I think we could all, and, and I, like, I'll, I'll give a shout out here to, to Steven Johnson, the, the TC beat reporter for the Fort Worth Star Telegram and his column that he published Sunday morning. He, he kind of alluded to that as well as like, I think everybody would have understood if TCU won significantly fewer games than mm -hmm. they did a year ago. Um, even though I, you know, at some point we all were, were talking ourselves into a six, six and no start or seven, one start or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, but, but to do it in the way that it's been done, like the, the foundation that could have been so solidified after, after such a magical season feels like the concrete was never set. Like it was all quick set. And, and now, you know, the first time the storm comes in, you start to see it kind of crack and the, and the facade start to fall away so quickly. And that, that's what has me kind of going this was a much bigger setback than I anticipated after last year for not just, not just in, in the one loss column, but just in the the health of the program overall. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And you're right. Uh, Steven wrote a, a really good article asking some big questions about this thing this morning. If you have the opportunity, folks go and read that over at the Fort Worth Star Telegram is really well done. Um, moving to the other side of the ball though, Melissa, um, we could sit here and, and talk for hours and hours about the defense and giving up all these rushing yards and missing tackles and stuff. But the, the reality too, is that the offense only scored three points. Yeah. They had three drives in the red zone and they came away with one field goal. They had four drives inside an opponent's 30 and they came away with one field goal. Um, shout out to our good friend, Parker Fleming. That's a points per echo, Melissa yeah. of 0 0.75. I don't think that is good. It's like bad. Parker's better than me at math, but I don't think that is it's good. It's bad. It's bad. So echo rate for those who are unfamiliar is the percentage of times you are creating quality drives on offense. A quality drive is considered any drive that passes your opponent's 30 yard line. So, you know, in, getting close to the red zone, getting into what's considered scoring territory or creating a scoring opportunity. TCU did that four times on saturday night out of i don't even have it up in front of me hang on i'm gonna vamp here for a second because it's out it's a percentage of total drives on the evening and so tcu had four drives that were considered quality drives out of Ugh. nine so less than 50 percent of their drives were quality drives and on those quality drives they managed just three points so a bad night all around for this offense that can go really fast. We've talked a lot about tempo this year can, can get you a bunch of yards, but at the end of the day, none of that matters if you're not putting points on the board. And now we're looking at a TCU offense. That's really, really inefficient under Kendall Bryles to the tune of 127th in the country in red zone percentage, um, which out is out of 130 teams, mind you. Um, they have scored on 21 of their 32 trips to the red zone. They've come away completely empty handed 11 times in the red oh. zone this year. And their, their touchdown percentage is at 46.8% in the red zone. They've scored a touchdown on 15 of their 32 trips to the red zone. That is not uh, there's, I mean, it's just bad. That's bad offense. Yeah. That's inefficient offense. That's not going to win many football games, especially against defenses that, when you get down into that red zone in that high pressure area, know how to execute incredibly well. And that was Kansas state on Saturday night. This is not an acceptable way for an offense to look at, at Texas Christian university. It's just not. Well, and that's, you know, this is a Kansas state defense that has really, really struggled in past defense, really struggled in past defense. And TC was not able whatsoever to take advantage of that. And like you said, execute in big moments. And again, like I'm willing to allow some grace for a redshirt freshman quarterback making his first ever mm -hmm. road start. Yeah. Um, but, but again, it's that same thing. It's put your guys in position to succeed. We all kind of anticipated that Imani Bailey was given a light workload a week ago. And we were told because we needed him Saturday night in Manhattan. 
he averages almost nine yards per carry and he gets 13 touches, right? Like it goes for a hundred yards on 13. touches, And I understand scoring situation. I mm-hmm. get that. Like I'm not an idiot here. Right. But at the same time, when you see how easily your defense is being run through at the very least run the ball to give them a break, you know, yeah. run the ball to give them a blow. And, and they mentioned on the broadcast that TCU is averaging over 80 plays a game, which is far and away the highest in the country. Um, and I feel, oh my God, I'm channeling my inner Gary Patterson here. Sometimes you don't need to go fast. Yeah. And it was, I, I understand you practice at this pace, you play at this pace, but like not being able to vary your pace when the situation is getting so out of hand on the other side of the ball was one of the biggest uh, 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 difficulties for TCU to overcome yes, uh, Saturday night, mm-hmm. not just because the offense wasn't doing anything effectively, but because they could not keep the defense off the field for more than a minute and a half at a time, it felt like. And that's why, you know, the, the defense was bad early, right? The offense made it look worse late. Yes. And, so, and they were not working in conjunction with each other whatsoever. No. So TCU uh, had, like I said, nine drives. Um, here is the amount of time that each of those drives took. This is all of the drives. Okay. Drive one took a minute, 24 Drive two, which resulted in a field goal, 206. Drive three, 204. Drive four, 221. Drive five, 140. Drive six, which ended on a turnover and downs in the red zone, was 437. Drive seven, which ended in an interception, minute 34. Drive eight, which uh, was a three and out, I believe. Yep. That gained no yards, uh, minute 14. And then their final drive, um of the game was uh 16 drives 16 uh play 73 yard drive that uh ended with a incomplete pass in the end zone as time expired for three minutes and 59 seconds two drives that lasted more than two and a half minutes on the entire day what total time at the possession like 22 minutes Total time of possession was, let us see here, 21-10 compared to 38-50 for Kansas State. And I know, and Parker would yell at us for talking about time of yeah. possession too much, yeah. but, but when you know what your the other team is going to want to do and they want to control the ball and they want to control the clock, and you just give them the ball back over and over and over and over and over again so quickly, you're going to have a bad time, yeah. and TCU did. Well, and, and, you know, I go back to last year and I go back to, to 2014 even too. And what we saw was running tempo after you get that first first down, mm-hmm. right? Once you get into a rhythm, running tempo with a young quarterback um, with who's not clearly not in a rhythm, I think was a hindrance, especially when the offensive line could not get set and pass block whatsoever. Like, I mean, there were so many things that went wrong yesterday, but but not, being able to vary your tempo and being able to slow it down and let your dude get settled just a little bit, let your offense get settled a little bit. And like you said, at the very least, just run some clock to keep your defense off the field. Yeah. Like you've got when it's not work, when something's not working, you have to adapt and adjust. And it's hard when your entire personality of an op. Well, we can talk about if we know what the personality of this offense is, but when at least mm-hmm. the tempo of your offense is, is very much drilled to be one way to be able to change that. But to me, that's an easy thing that you should be able to adjust because even if you want to hurry up to the line, you could set the ball and back up yep, and just, just let some time come off the clock until you get that first, first down or that second first down, or you find a little bit of a rhythm going. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was watching on the, on the second drive, uh, TC second offensive drive. And it was, I think it was run, run incompletion on third and 10. Like, and mm-hmm. it was the same running play twice in a row. Basically it looked like the same running play. And then, you know, it was like third and eight and, and it was an incompletion. And it's just like, man, like we are rushing to fail. We are hurrying to fail, and that's all that was happening. And it was, uh, it was, it was super disappointing to watch for sure. Yeah, and this was a Kansas State defense too that had been susceptible to the pass play earlier this year. Oklahoma State exploited them in a win um, with with their passing game. Central Florida put up thirty one points on Kansas State with their passing game. Um, this is a, a Central Kansas Florida State, did that with with a uh, with a uh, backup, their backup, a backup quarterback. quarterback. Who's yeah, not a great throw in um, football. And and. So there, there were opportunities theoretically to take advantage of some of what Kansas State does defensively, not as well, and TCU just couldn't. TCU just couldn't do anything. The offensive line, especially the tackle play, was not up to standard on Saturday. Uh, Andrew Coker and Brandon Coleman both had very bad days pass blocking. 
very bad days pass blocking. Josh Hoover was under a lot of pressure. He only technically got sacked once, um, but he was hurried nine times. He was constantly having to move out of the pocket before he wanted to. Um, and when you're talking about putting a redshirt freshman in a position to succeed, that's just not going to, that's just not going to yeah. get it done. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it was a, a comedy of errors that had nobody laughing at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and for, you know, a team that Kansas state <clears throat> was a, was a trendy preseason pick to be in the big 12 championship game. Theoretically, they could still make it there, but this is not a team that has been world beaters so far this year said they've, they've lost games, you know, that they probably should have won. Um, you know, Missouri is not looking like a terrible loss, but losing to Oklahoma state, um, you know, was not good. They gave up a ton of points to UCF. I mean, everybody on their schedule has scored more against Kansas state than TCU did. And I think that includes like Toledo or somebody, right. So, 13, um, yeah. yeah, so there, there is, um, just the, the, how quickly it looked like TCU just kind of gave up Saturday night, uh, was, was certainly a concern and not being able to exploit, the inefficiencies of that Kansas state defense for more than three points um, is certainly a concern and all of the excuses in the world. Sure. But at the end of the day, a TCU just did not get it done and got humiliated by a team that hadn't really been living up to a world beater reputation until TCU rolled into town. And now, and now they they've got themselves right back in as, as you know, one of the tops of the big 12. This is not the same Kansas State that beat TCU in the Big 12 championship no. game last year. And those were right? one-score games. Those were mm-hmm. one-score games twice last year. Yeah. Like, and, and both teams yeah. lost pretty impactful players. So it's not like Kansas State brought everybody back. They brought No, some, they lost they Deuce brought, Vaughn. They lost the best yeah. running back in the history of their program. Yeah. Like, and, and now they brought they brought back a lot of the defensive and the offensive line, sure. And they, they do have they – have, they're great in the trenches. But once again, that's kind of an indictment on TCU of that. Like, that's an area but, that has been I underdeveloped mean, and under-recruited. They and lost – they lost a member of their secondary to the NFL. Yeah. They lost a wide receiver to the NFL. Yeah. They lost a running back to the NFL. They lost defensive linemen and offensive linemen to the NFL. Like they lost a lot of, yeah. of bodies, just and, like TCU and they, did. Yeah. And, and they've they been dealing their with their ass. Some, yeah. And they've been dealing with some quarterback controversy of their own, mm-hmm. you know, but, but they, but they had the depth and they understand who their quarterbacks are and they, they maximized their positive attributes. And yes. I mean, neither, neither Avery Johnson or Will Howard really threw the ball that well, like that, that was not how they beat well, TCU. No, it's not. But when they did throw the ball, they did it's, actually, they, they did yeah, throw it well. That, I mean, they, they 24 yards per completion on, on Saturday yeah, for Kansas uh, yeah. State. Well, so and that, like, that dime, that dime that Avery Johnson dropped, uh, like right outside to the pylon. I was say on, which like, one, yeah, like, he, like he threw yeah. a couple of really nice, so, nice balls. Well, so let me, let me say it this way. Like, like big play explosive, obviously. And, and, and at that point, I mean, they had already kind of sucked the life out of TCU, um, but they didn't need to throw the ball and they used the run to set up the throw. And then the throw was super, super effective because yep. of how well they had run the ball. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I would argue that um, if they had had 10 total attempts on the day between the two of them, they still probably would have beat TCU by 25 points. So. They could have, they could have picked their yeah. score on Saturday. Yeah. And Sonny Dyke said as much after the game, he's like, they let up, like they could have, they could have scored however much yeah. they needed to win that football game. Uh, are, so are we going to so we going to talk about what Sonny Dyke said after that game? Sure. I, I mean, I and I've seen this all over social and, and all over the boards is is how concerning is it to you, Jamie, who sat in, in a few more Sonny Dyke's press conferences than I have these last two years when the kind of the first thing out of his mouth is I don't understand what happened. I didn't like, see and, that and coming. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And, and, and it's not really the first time that we've heard that because I, he said something kind of similar. Well, at the Colorado game, I guess he said he kind of he kind of saw it coming, but I, I feel like we've heard a little a lot of like everything looks great, you know, Sunday through Friday, and then the Saturday performances that haven't been up to expectation are shocking. Like what 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 is happening between Friday night and Saturday morning? That's a great question. Um, I. I, I don't know that I have a sufficient answer for you. Um, I think that we've heard a lot from Sonny midweek this year about the good practices and they're they're doing well every day. They're working hard. There's no give up, right? They're still playing hard and all and and that's all good and well. And he's also acknowledged that there is a seeming disconnect between what's happening on the practice fields and what's happening on Saturday in the game. And it's a little disconcerting when you hear the head coach say, um, you know, 
in week eight when this has happened multiple times that he didn't see them. He didn't see this coming um, or that he was surprised by the result uh, because there has to be a way. And it is ultimately his responsibility to find that way to get what's happening so well on the practice fields to happen the same way in a football game. And he's brought it up a couple times to his credit this year that everything all every result ultimately at the end of the day, whether it's a score, whether it's execution, whether it's play calling, whatever it is, everything that happens in the midst of a football game on Saturday points back to coaching. And so he's taken that responsibility on his shoulders a couple times already this year. He's also, you know, been very clear about putting that responsibility on his assistant coach's shoulders as well to say, we have to start every evaluation of what happens on Saturday by looking in the mirror. And they're going to be doing that today. They're going to be watching film today and they're going to have a bye week to try and, and figure out something before they head to Lubbock and take on Texas tech on Thursday night, because there is no way that TCU football can continue to play at this level and expect to make a bowl game this year. And that's going to put them in some pretty notorious company because only one other time in the college football playoff era, Melissa, has a team reached the national championship and then failed to qualify for a bowl the following year. And the only other time that happened was in the COVID year with LSU and they went five and five, right? So that was a team that won the national championship and then lost Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, an entire NFL of defense. And they still went five and five in the SEC and didn't play in a bowl game in a COVID year. So that's the, that's the other example. The only other example of making the college football playoff and then missing a bowl game was Michigan state when they went three and nine the following year. And we do not want to be compared to Michigan state in any no. way, shape, or form right now. Not, not these days. Michigan state is the perfect example of there is no rock bottom. Yeah. Right. It can always yeah. get worse. It can always get worse. Because um, I believe what was the, what was the stat I saw on Twitter yesterday? Michigan state had more Hitlers on their scoreboard yeah. than they did points. Yeah. That's a tough scene. It's a tough scene. Um, it's a tough. Yeah. It, listen, it's, uh, you know, when you have a CEO head coach, which is exactly what we hired Sonny Dykes to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then there is when everything is good, you can sit in the, in the executive office and you can look down across your many employees and think this is all very good and things are successful. But when crap hits the fan, what are you going like how how much more invested do we need to see Sunday night, especially on the offensive side of the ball? This is a, a man who's built his reputation on being, you know, an elite offensive coordinator and an elite offensive play designer and schemer. Um, yeah. I think I I wonder if over the bye week he kind of comes out of the executive offices and gets back involved in kind of the game planning, um, the day-to-day, you know, uh hour by hour kind of work that goes into prepping for Texas Tech. Um, because I think at this point. I'm not saying his seat is hot whatsoever. I mean, we are in year two of, of a program that had taken a gigantic step backwards and in year one did something nobody saw coming. But um, if you're going to look at the the big picture and the long-term prospects for TCU football, there's a lot that needs to change. Um, you know, it, we'd say it with the recruiting. Um, we, you know, it, it's the rec- like, let's call it what it is. The recruiting is not what it should be coming off of the season TCU had a year ago. I know we're all excited about a, a kid committing that was a UTSA flip, but, and again, like you've got to fill your roster with those types of kids. You have to have those developmental players, but, but we are not getting the, the caliber of players in the positions of need that are going to turn this thing around long-term. Um, and so I'm going to be very interested to see if any, there's any philosophical changes, if there's any uh, management changes, if there's any style changes from Sonny Dykes that filters down into his coordinators, because I think as we have pointed out, and as I think it's been obvious, um, the the coordinators are are both are all talented. The coaching staff is incredibly talented. We've seen all of them do really really good things. It's not it's not getting the job done mm-hmm. um, at, at a level that's that's producing wins against inferior opponents. Uh, Kansas State's not an inferior opponent, but losing Iowa State and West Virginia that's against Colorado. Those are the games you really need to look at and say it's not working and maybe it needs some time to work, but it's not working. And so at the three quarters of the way or two thirds of the way through the season, something has to change. And I think that starts with Sunny Dykes having to 
to jump down and, and get more involved, frankly. Yeah. And just for the record, as we're reporting this, it is officially coaching change season, Melissa, because Arkansas has fired its offensive coordinator, Dan Enos, wow. this afternoon after a seven to three loss to Mississippi State yesterday. The Hogs offense is 119th in the country in total offense this year, averaging just 305 yards per game. TCU, 16th in the country in total offense, which tells you all you need to know about that stat, frankly. <laughs> but um, Arkansas has pulled the trigger on a coaching change for their offensive coordinator. Uh, and this is the time of year where we start to see that happen more and more. Um, and it is a question that, that, uh, TCU fans are, are asking themselves right now about what needs to change for TCU's program. And um, I'm not a big fan of in-season firings, but like, I, and again, I'm not calling for anybody's job whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's a lot of evaluation that needs to happen, um, but it's really, really tricky in this new world of early signing period and transfer portal and all of that, like knowing when to make moves is incredibly critical for the long-term success. And I'm not saying that, um, that, you know, that, there needs to be wholesale changes on the staff. But what I'm, what I am saying is that there needs to be a long look in the mirror, as Sonny Dykes has said, and identifying can things work as currently constructed or do changes need to happen schematically, organizationally, whatever else, in order to make sure that TCU does not squander the opportunity um, that was given to it, does not squander the resources that it, that it has um, and, and does not, uh, you know, let like, like football cannot be an albatross here because all of the programs that have had success on that campus have stemmed because of the spotlight and the resources that football helped kind of imbue into that campus. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not the end all be all for any university, nor should it be, but it is absolutely the biggest spotlight that you can shine. Um, like I can tell you as a, as a high school teacher who there's going to be more than 20 kids from my school that apply to TCU that that's over 10% of our, of our class senior class. Um, they don't care that TCU lost, you know, 41 to three or whatever it was on Saturday night to Kansas state. That's not going to impact their opinion of TCU. And I don't think for most people that game by game, they don't live incoming kids don't live and die by the score on a Saturday, the way that us older fans can do. But if you want to continue to see this university grow, um, you know, not just in football, but in athletics across the board and overall resources and, and access um, to, you know, future uh, uh, stability as things continue to change, um, then you have to make sure that the foundation for this program is strong. And that does bleed into every other aspect of the university. It's not going to make or break my experience or my love for TCU, but it's certainly uh, squandering an opportunity here would would be devastating to the long-term um, future of uh, the athletics program, I think, for TCU. I mean, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Um, yeah, I think you nailed it there. Let's uh, do some podcast business, Melissa, and then move on to uh, a little bit of baseball and basketball news. I think we've done a decent job of putting a bow on what was a horrific Saturday evening for TCU football Tough. in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, and so in order to do that, let's jump in. And I want to talk to you guys first about Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is a wonderful one-stop shop for everything you need to get ready for a TCU game day. Whether TCU is winning football games or losing 41-3 to to Kansas State, you can look the part of a TCU Horned Frog fan by going over to Hell's Half Acre sg.com and taking a look at their polos their game day hats their koozies all the other kinds of things you need to make sure that you're ready for a great game day in fort worth or elsewhere uh you can find that all right over at hell's half acre stadium goods when you make a purchase go ahead and tell them in the little comment box that frogs insider sent you and um just go over there and check out their stuff they got some good stuff i'm wearing some of it right now football football of champions Football Champions of 1938 t-shirt is one of my favorites. It's super comfortable. Um, they got a lot of good stuff over there. So go check them out at Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Melissa, do you want to talk about the good brand? Oh, always. Always want to talk about the good brand. I will say that it does not matter what happens to TCU on a football Saturday or football Thursday or football and anything in between. Um, I was proudly wearing my home field apparel gear 
Um, all day yesterday, I've got uh, the Homefield Joggers on today on this lovely, cool, rainy day in Northern California. Um, Homefield Apparel is uh, home to some of the best and most comfortable t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, joggers, bomber jackets, a little bit of everything. Um, and not just for TCU, but for a lot of your favorite universities or even universities that you hate, but maybe you just casually kind of own a shirt that you hope nobody sees you wearing because it's such a great looking throwback vintage shirt. Um, <laughs> I won't say who, but there might be a couple that I'm a little ashamed to own uh, in, in my wardrobe. Do you have a Baylor oh, shirt? Is that what you're saying? No, right God, now? no, no, no. Okay. Listen, even I have a line. <laughs> I have a lot, Fair enough. Fair um, enough. but, but listen, that Mustang shirt, the, the SMU, like you have shirts. an SMU Mustang know, shirt, listen. Melissa Treewasser. Have you seen it? The logo is so, so elite. It's buried shame. currently in the very bottom of the drawer. So uh, shame. I, but, I mean, I mean, I've got a smoky Tennessee shirt and a Florida shirt over here. So whatever, yeah. but it, it's like, listen, we all, we all make mistakes in our youth, um, but <laughs> But like Hawaii, too late. I mean, they're just unbelievable stuff across board. Uh, you can save 15% off your first order with Homefield Apparel using the code FROGSIN15, F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5, and 10% off of all your subsequent orders using that same code. Um, go check them out. Said it is it is getting into hoodie season and nobody does, uh, you know, does better better throwback vintage collegiate hoodies um, than uh, Homefield Apparel. Although I do have a frog ball one from uh, Hell's Half Acre that is pretty... Uh, Pretty great. It's pretty legit. It's so pretty like great. basically what we're saying is you can make your entire wardrobe out of just our sponsors and be pretty dang happy with it. Oh my gosh, yes. That's I'm I'm working my way in that direction every single day of my yeah. life. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Melissa, let's uh kind of keep on rolling here. Um I went on a little bit of a road trip on Saturday. Yeah, morning. I could not believe it when you were posting videos from San Marcos. <laughs> I was like, wow, Jamie is is committed to TCU baseball. Look, it's <laughs> It's the it's the place to be. Let me tell you, yeah. because CCU baseball, um, the hype is real, Melissa. Yeah. I'm just going to say that right now on uh, October 22nd of 2023, that I think this CCU baseball team is going to be pretty dang good this upcoming season. Um, I had a chance to go down to San Marcos and watch them play in a scrimmage game against Texas State. I rode down there, or I drove down there. Uh, had a little riding buddy as well, Martin from the Lupton Drinking Club tagged along and we went and sat in the stands and sat with some of the TCU parents and just hung out and watched a 14 inning scrimmage on a beautiful Saturday morning. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me and you guys can see some of the videos I put on Twitter from this game, but Melissa Payton Tully, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a kid. He's probably, you know, you, you talk about this transfer class and all of the guys that they brought in are these veteran uh, you know, experienced guys who have been there and done that and all this other stuff. And Peyton Tolley is probably the one that fits that mold almost better than any other transfer outside of maybe like Ben Hampton, who has 41 career starts mm -hmm. um, at, on the mound. Peyton Tolley, a two-way player from Wichita State. We've talked about him on the show before. Um, he hit a very loud home run on saturday a very loud home run Ma like, many of us were introduced to the word hort yes hort. I, I saw lots of yeah hort was a great hort word to baseball for... I, i'll be honest i didn't know the definition of hort when someone posted it on the board but i've always kind of used it as like a cranked alternative for hitting a home run because i can't just say cranked every time even though yeah. this this one on saturday also cranked. falls under that de definition yeah. cranked hort, you, blasted like, go go listen to the video on twitter because he hits this ball it sounds different when peyton Tully hits the baseball yeah. first and foremost and then it hit the batter's eye so hard that it sounded like a gunshot went off in the outfield like it was a, a very hard hit baseball um, and then he went out and he pitched two innings in the scrimmage and struck out four, didn't give up a hit. So like, he feels like he's as advertised at this point. Yeah. Again, it's just October. We're talking about a Texas state scrimmage, but I think TCU feels really good about picking up Peyton Tolley in the portal. Another portal guy that had a really good day was Peyton Chattanier, second baseman transfer from Ole Miss. He tripled off the wall in left field. Um, scored a couple of runs, had some really good kind of gritty at bats. Uh, and, and I liked what I saw from him. Um, also great to see some speed with all the speed that TCU lost. Yes. Year ago. Yeah. He's got this some is, this is the, uh, that's actually a really good transition into kind of what I wanted to talk about, because this is going to be an offense that I think looks pretty different from a season ago. insofar as 
how many bags they're going to steal versus how many home runs yeah. they're going to hit. Like this is a team that is kind of built more for power than for speed outside of the guy, they call him P chat, Peyton Chattanier, the Ole Miss transfer, uh, Luke, Logan Maxwell and Luke Boyers are going to kind of be the speed guys for this roster. Um, and I and, and they're going to steal bags when they can. Obviously, that's yeah. always kind of going to be part of the ethos of, of who TCU baseball is. But I think we're going to see a good number of home runs this year, not only because of Peyton Tolley, but I watched and granted, there was a little bit of a jet stream to left field yesterday. Brody Green crushed a baseball yesterday mm-hmm. for a two run home run. And uh, Anthony Silva crushed a baseball yesterday for a two run home run like they hit the ball so hard. The double that a double that Chase Brunson hit, a double that uh, Curtis Bo, uh, Curtis Byrne hit, a, a triple Chattanier's triple, all off the wall and out in the outfield, like hard hit baseballs all day long for TCU against a, T- a Texas State team that's decent, right? Against, yeah. I mean, they were seeing their good arms, um, and so it was fun. It, it, and this is the point of fall baseball is to see what you've got and and Kirk. Sarlos is really doing the hard work of what he likes to call finding the best nine at this point, just finding nine guys that you can put into a lineup and get, you know, production every single day of the season. So I, I it was a waiting. really big step in that direction. I think Yeah, I've been waiting for like 10 years to have a guy on TC's roster who hits more than 20 home runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like we may, we may get one or two of those guys this year. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to necessarily watch the MLB style of its home runner strikeout, but it seems like there's really great power kind of littered throughout this lineup, um, with other guys that they're going to make a lot of contact. They're still going to have disciplined at bats. That's something that, that TC baseball has been known for, for a really long time. Um, but then if they also have the ability to hit it out, even, even in a, a field like Lupton, uh, that just. Yep. That's I think that's kind of what's been missing is TCU's had the elite pitching, they've had the elite speed, but mm-hmm. when you get to Omaha and you get against some of these elite programs, you've got to be able to get the baseball out of the park, even again in another field that's not necessarily known for for giving up a ton yeah. of home runs, although we saw quite a few of them uh you know last year. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, Florida and LSU didn't really have problems. Yeah, they didn't really have problems, but but that's really what you need is that's been the missing piece is just having elite power hitters. Um, you know, at more than one position. And TCU's had some great ones. You know, you think about Luke and Baker and, and some of those guys, but mm-hmm. if you can have multiple of those guys that are capable, that put pressure on an opposing pitching staff um, that, that you know, when, when you get guys on in the early lineup can really kind of clean things up. I, I think that yeah. could turn this team from being really, really good to potentially really, really special. And, you know, I think Curtis Burns starting to look really healthy again, which is a nice, a nice surprise, not a surprise, but just a nice thing to yeah. see, yeah. Uh, you know, he's entering year five and he dealt with some serious back injuries last year that really kind of derailed what everyone, including him, hoped his season would look yeah. like, um, which, you know, the silver lining was that we got to see what Carson Bowen can do daily behind the plate, which was, was really a lot for a freshman. Um, but I think the hope this year is that neither Carson or Curtis catch even 80% of TCU's games. Yeah. And so there's going to be a real opportunity to split time behind the plate. Curtis caught nine full innings uh, on Saturday as they try to stretch him out behind the plate again. And he still had really good at bats and caught, had a, just had a good day catching a variety of different arms. Um, uh, and so that was really nice to see as well. Well, that's something um, that we weren't yeah. even sure that he was going to be able to get back behind the plate. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, not even that long ago, you're talking about there still being some issues there. And so it's awesome to know that he, he can be a, a full-time catcher in the line. Cause you want, that's a bat you want to keep in the lineup. And Kirk yeah. Silas has talked about that too, of just finding creative ways to get, you know, a guy like Curtis Byrne as many at bats as he needs. And we saw that towards the, at the end of the postseason, the end of the season last year, how critical he was in that lineup. So that's, that's huge that, that he looks comfortable back behind the plate, catching mm-hmm. the equivalent of a full game again. And Peyton Tolley is probably going to be your DH this year, right? So that's not a yeah. spot that Byrne can typically slot into even when he's not catching, uh, which is why they've started to work him out a little bit at first base yeah. this year. There's still That's probably one of the spots that's most up for grabs right now is first base because you've got a sophomore in Gabe Miranda who's incredibly good defensively and his bat is starting to come along this fall, which is nice to see. And then you've also got an incoming freshman in Zach Wattis who has the bat right? Like he, he's got a bat and he can swing that thing and it goes far when he hits it, <laughs> but he's still learning first base because he was yeah. primarily an outfielder in high school. So there's an opportunity there, I think, to get Curtis Burns some at bats when he's not DHing or catching. Um, 
and also you're still trying to figure that figure that stuff out a little bit i don't want to spend too much more time on this tcu ended up winning the scrimmage uh, 15 to 7 but i do want to just shout out um two guys that i thought uh, it was really good to see on saturday one is chase brunson i think i've mentioned him on the podcast before he's a true freshman outfielder he was committed to loyal and marymount for a really long time until that coaching staff turned over this summer the lines um, yes and he um committed to TCU and then was drafted in the 18th round by the Toronto Blue Jays, turned down signing bonus money to end up in Fort Worth. Um, And I think based on what I've seen from him this fall, that there's a real chance that he's TCU starting center fielder this year. Um, He's got great defensive speed in the outfield. Mm -hmm. He's another guy that can maybe put some pressure on opposing pitchers when he's on base. Uh, And he had a very hard hit double. He had a, a timely sacrifice fly. He, he was hitting behind Chatagnier uh, in the lineup. And so Chatagnier hits a triple and then Brunson puts together a really nice, like six or seven pitch at bat that ends up in a deep fly ball to center field. That is a sacrifice fly. So a couple of really good at bats from him. He looked good defensively in center field, ranging around back to the fence coming up on plays, you know, just looks like he's got what it takes out there. Um, and he's going to be a really interesting guy to see where he fits into this thing come spring, because I think he's going to have a real chance to play as a true freshman. And we've seen, you know, the last couple yeah. of years under Kirk Sarlos, he's not afraid to play young guys and put them in, yeah. in high leverage moments to see what they can do. Uh, and so I think Chase Brunson might be one of those guys this year. I, I don't, I, I think we also, and you've said this before and, I, and it's been talked about other places, but has anybody figured out modern division one power five recruiting better than Kirk Sarlos? He's he's uh, he's he's found a good sweet spot for right now and, uh, you know, had a chance to catch up with him about that last week, uh, two weeks ago now. And, you know, he said something that I think was really insightful and translates across sports Mm -hmm. as well, because he understands how important it is to be busy in the portal, to get veteran experienced guys, to get leadership all those kinds of things, but he also understands how critical it is to keep that kind of development pipeline going and have guys that you can develop. And so I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he talked a lot about, you know, being sure that your team is set up in a manner that allows guys to develop so that you don't have to put them into positions too early when they're not ready, but also building a competitive roster year over year um, through the, through the transfer portal. And, that's as true as it has ever been for TCU baseball because of the 42 guys currently on the roster, 22 are new faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's over 50% of the roster that is new from last year to this fall. And, and that was similar a year ago too. So. And it was similar a year ago. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're talking about a TCU baseball team. I don't want to get overexcited because we know what they lost to the MLB draft. And I don't want a repeat of hype from football to baseball. Right. Um, I don't want to be accused of being a sunshine pumper or anything like that. Um, but TCU, different though, TCU baseball had had a lot of, of, of success on paper in the transfer yeah. portal and with this high school recruiting class. And now we get to see, we have the fun opportunity to see how they progress this fall and then see what they can put together as far as the 2024 season well, is concerned. Because I think I think this could be uh, this team has Omaha potential, in my opinion, right now. Yeah. Well, and I think baseball is the hardest sport to manage recruiting in because of the way the draft plays out. I think it's also the place where individual talent can make a bigger impact more than Mm -hmm. any other sport. It's still, it is still unquestionably the most individual sport that exists, but where I've really admired Kirk Charlos and his staff is that they've been able to to take all those individual pieces and still create a cohesive unit that doesn't necessarily necessary for success in baseball, but it's Mm -hmm. been, I think one of the, one of the key parts to TCU's baseball success over the last 20 years. Yeah. And I think too, you know, one of the things that'll really dictate how well TCU does in 2024 is how the pitching rotation shakes out, because that's another thing that's still really up for grabs. The other guy that I really enjoyed seeing on Saturday, even though he didn't have his best day was, uh, was Cademan Parker. Parker is coming off of, uh, Tommy John surgery last year. He missed all of last season. Um, and he, for the first time in over a year, I believe, threw against an opponent, like he's thrown live at bats and in scrimmages at TCU this fall but this was his first time facing off against a guy not also wearing purple in a, in a long time. He didn't have his best stuff, but he still touched about 94, 95 on the gun, uh, had a good mix of pitches, was locating some of his off-speed stuff really, really well. 
And uh, this is a guy that's competing for one of those weekend rotation spots this offseason. So it was nice to see him get back out there. Uh, and and he's continuing to progress as well. So it's pretty cool to hey, see. Before we wrap this up, uh, we've talked about great recruiting at TCU baseball. We've talked about recruiting. We'd like to see improve with TCU football. We are just a couple of uh, weeks away here, less than two weeks away, I think, from TCU basketball season started. And you have been on uh, David Punch here. You've been kind of talking him up and as a, mm-hmm. as a main target and a guy that TCU had a really good shot with. Uh, this is a, uh, I don't want to say like a, a program defining, you know, re- commitment here by any stretch of the imagination, but this class as a whole is the start of what could be a really positive trend for TCU basketball. Yeah. And it's kind of taking TCU basketball over the hump to now being a destination for top talent, especially in the state of Texas. It is. And, you know, this is, this is a situation where, um, and he's still not showing up on 24 seven as a commit. So I need to fix that. But uh, David Punch, four-star power forward, number five recruit in the state of Texas for the 2024 recruiting cycle, committed to TCU, and he did so um, on a live stream on Saturday afternoon, becoming the fourth commit for TCU's class, along with Michael Robinson, Malik Diallo, and Ashton Simmons. Um, Ashton Simmons being the lowest-rated recruit in the class and still the number 14 co- recruit in the state of Texas. Yeah. Um, this is a class that is rated as the 11th overall best class for 2024 with the addition of punch. Um, it's the highest rated recruiting class in TCU history, uh, um, which is, you know, they've developed a lot of guys over the years, right? Mike miles wasn't as highly rated as maybe he should have been. Desmond Bain was a zero star recruit. Kenrich Williams was a low two star kid, right? They've had guys come through the program who they've developed really well. And now two years of success making the NCAA tournament, finishing in that top kind of quarter of the Big 12, uh, has and then putting guys in the league, right? Desmond Bain signing a $200 million contract yeah. in the NBA helps. cannot be overlooked yeah. for helps. how much stuff like that helps, especially in hoops recruiting. And now we're starting to see it pay off on the recruiting trail from a high school perspective because Jamie Dixon, we know what he's capable of doing in the transfer portal. We've seen that part. Now he's adding that other piece that, you know, this is what I mean when I say what Kirk Sarlos is talking about translates across sports. Yeah. Now you've got a foundation of four high school athletes who are incredibly well thought of, very athletic, and now you have the chance to develop those guys at your program while continuing to supplement it with, with older guys in the portal like we've seen Jamie Dixon be able to do over the last three or four years now. So I love this edition of David Punch. I'm very, very high on what he can do at the college level. I think he's a great athlete. I think he's going to turn into a really fun guy to watch for the Horn Frogs. Um, and you know, with four guys in the bag now for high school, I think this is where they can really start to turn their attention to scouting potential portal, portal players uh, for next offseason and say, we've got this high school foundation now for 2024. Let's see where the other gaps are as we play out this season. And then we can start to address some of those and keep this thing rolling. Because you know, right now, TCU's goal making that NCAA tournament, which would be the third year in a row, that would be the first time in program history that TCU baseball or TCU basketball has made the NCAA tournament three consecutive years. So we're talking about some pretty groundbreaking uh, stuff for, for TCU hoops going to a place they've never been in year eight now under Jamie Dixon. Well, like you said, you take the veterans that you're getting out of the portal, you combine them with guys like Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning, and then you bring Mm -hmm. in these four freshmen. And now you're building that foundation for the long term where you need that stability, you need that leadership, uh, you need those homegrown developmental guys. And then with basketball, being able to supplant with a couple of veterans with some experience with some guys who have won at a high level, because yes, making the NCAA tournament for a third year in a row would be absolute groundbreaking things for TCU. But I think we're also all at the point where we want to get to that second weekend. Yeah, you know, and you need you need a combination, and we see this every year. TCU is not a blue blood program. You need to have that senior laden foundational group that has been there, done that, along with some elite talent that you can go and either develop yourself or poach from other places. Mm-hmm. And in order to be a team that doesn't just make the tournament but makes a run, and I think TCU is really on the cusp of being the team that gets into that next category of this is a perennial sweet 16 type contender. Um, and, and Jamie Dixon, like it took him a while and maybe that's what we need to remember when we talk about TCU football too, Yeah, is it takes a while to recover from, you know, what was being done, uh, the previous regime. And what is this year? Seven. Is that right? This for is Jamie season Dixon? number eight. This is season eight. eight. So year eight for Jamie Dixon. Yep. Um, 
And I think we're just really starting to see this program be- become the vision that he wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, so credit to Jeremiah Donati, credit to TCU um, for for kind of seeing the vision and the long-term story there. I, I know that mm-hmm. his seat has been hot occasionally, but um, you know, if you allow somebody to really institute their program their way, success can come. And no one was down worse than TCU basketball. So he was he was due a little bit longer leash than anybody else, probably. But it's it's great to go into a TCU basketball season with this level of enthusiasm and excitement. And then mm-hmm. also to be looking forward and saying, man, this might just be the tip of the iceberg of what this program can really do. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think I'm going to write about it for, for Horn Frog Blitz this week to take a look at program builders across college football specifically mm-hmm. and say, you know, how long did it take? Because uh, look at what Florida State's doing right now. Yeah. Look at what Washington is doing. Yeah. Look at what some of these other programs who have had coaching turnover, who have had some program turmoil, what they're capable of doing in 2023 because they had a little bit of patience with the head coach. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what TCU showed with Jamie Dixon. It's what they um, hopefully will show with Sonny Dykes as well. Um, because I think that, you know, in this era, it is easier to rebuild, but it's not a guarantee. And so yeah. we've got to see, we've got to see some program development from the football side of things, yeah. but we don't want to sell our soul for one good year, um, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, this season feels a little bit like a wash, but let's see how the next couple games play out. See if there's any, uh, any hope for the future and the competitiveness after bye week picks up. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we need to see at this point. I think so too. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of frogs insider. Thanks, Melissa, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us at the Republic of Football Network or on Frogs Insider, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you leave us a rating and review, like the video on YouTube and subscribe there as well. And we will be back later this week to preview the bye week. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to yeah. figure it out. We'll, we'll talk to out. you then. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. <laughs>